Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, you guys ready for the word? Someone say yes. Come on, say it like you mean it today. All right, good. Um, We are in week two of a series we started last weekend called Personal Exodus, Lessons from the Wilderness. And uh, I mentioned last weekend that the reason we chose this as the second series of the year is because it paired really, really nicely with the first series we did in January called Pursuit. Some might say it paired like peanut butter and jelly, uh, like movies and popcorn, like brownies and ice cream, like uh, J-Lo and Shakira, whatever you got, like it's, it's, it worked together nicely. That didn't work together so nicely last week, though. You should all repent for watching that halftime show. Um, But in the first series of the year, uh, we talked about this concept, this idea of leaving the past behind and pursuing everything that God has for our future. And we spent four weeks really talking about practically how we do that. Well, the reason this series uh, made the logical sense to come next is because during this series, as we talk about uh, the group of people, the Israelites leaving Egypt and making their way into the promised land, uh, it really is the most beautiful picture of what this exodus truly looks like. This season between the past and the promise, between Egypt and between Canaan. And if that is a new story to you, maybe you're unfamiliar with the Bible, maybe you just started coming to church, uh, let me give you a little bit of framework because it will really help as we go through the text today to understand the greater narrative of what's taking place in the book of Exodus. By the way, feel free to read through that during the six-week series here as well. If you, need, if you don't have a Bible reading plan and you need one, just open up the book of Exodus and read through it. It's a powerful display of God's deliverance, God's love, God's care for his people. But I'll give you the short version. Um, for a period of 430 years, the Israelites, God's people, were enslaved to the Egyptians. Um, After that time, they've been calling out to God for a while, asking for deliverance. And at the end of this season, God sends a deliverer, uh, by the way, of a guy named Moses. Moses shows up and he is the bearer of good news to God's people. And he says, God's heard your cry. He's heard your plea. And he's coming as a deliverer to take you out of this land. And he's going to bring you into a promised land, a a land called It's going to be a place that's flowing with milk and honey, a land of provision, a land of blessing, a land of freedom, a land where you will no longer be enslaved, but you'll actually have authority and dominion over the land yourselves instead of being subject to the dominion of your enemies. And so they celebrate and they, they thank God for this, this great word, but nothing's happened yet. And so Moses goes and he appeals to Pharaoh in Egypt and he says, okay, this is what God told me about his people, so you need to let them go now. And, and Pharaoh's a little, a little bit apprehensive and he doesn't really want to let all of his free slave labor go. And so he fights against God for a period of time and God sends some plagues and some other crazy stuff until ultimately Pharaoh gives in and he says, you know what? You, can, you guys can leave, get out of here. So the Israelites take off out of Egypt on their way to Canaan, but they enter into a season in a wilderness, a season where God begins to test them, a season where he begins to refine them, a season where he begins to prepare them for the promised land that they're supposed to walk into. And sadly, this group of two and a half million people that left slavery and were on their way to a promised land failed the tests that God gave them in the wilderness They resisted him, they resisted the refinement, and they ultimately ended up dying in the wilderness, never making it into the promised land. I said this last week and I'll say it again. Although this is a sad story of not fulfilling God's will for their lives, it is an opportunity for us. And the reason it's an opportunity for us is because we don't have to make our own mistakes, but we can learn from somebody else's mistakes. Come on, how many like learning from other people's mistakes instead of making them yourself? How many learned from others about not buying Bitcoin and losing your entire, okay, yeah, I didn't. I made that mistake myself. 
pray for me. But like we get an opportunity to read through this, this story and learn very practically what to not do in a wilderness season. And I said it again last week, I'll say it again today. There is an Egypt and there is a Canaan for every single one of us. There is a place that God is calling you out of and a place that he's calling you to. And it's different for every one of us. Maybe for you, your Egypt is a place of addiction. Maybe it's a place of bondage or it's a place of pain or it's a place of memories or depression or anxiety, whatever it might be. Well, that's not where you're supposed to live. God is calling you out of that thing, out of darkness and into his glorious light. He's calling you into a place of freedom, a place of provision, a place of blessing. But mark my words, you will have to navigate through a wilderness season between your past and your future. You'll have to wander in this season a little bit until you get to fully lay hold of what God has for you. And if we're all going to enter into a wilderness at some point in this journey of faith, it's important that we understand how to navigate that chapter well, how to not make some mistakes that others before us have made. And so the aim of this six-week series is simple. I want you to learn how to wander the wilderness well. Come on, turn to someone next to you and tell them, wander well, wander well, wander well. Now tell them, wander willy, willy, willy well. <laughs> True alliteration, like, uh, like pastors are supposed to have. So let me pray, and we're gonna get into this today. And uh, I'm excited to share this content with you. I think it'll help you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you that today as we gather, um, you have a design and a desire and aim for every one of us to receive something today that we can put into practice this week. Um, we did not come here today to go through ritual, to go through routine. We came here today because we wanna meet you, we wanna encounter you, and we believe that being in your house and being in your presence can transform us. So Lord, for every person in this room um, that, that hears the word today, let our hearts be open and let it produce much fruit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're gonna take notes today, uh, I wanna title the chat, Don't Forsake the Gathering. Don't Forsake the Gathering. Um, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Exodus, chapter 16, we're gonna start in the first verse, uh, verse one. And I'll read a couple, to, a couple of verses to you here and we'll kind of camp on something for a moment. It was Exodus 16, one. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and they journeyed into the wilderness between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So we're catching up with the Israelites 30 days. Last week we talked about what happened right out of the wilderness. Now we're 30 days into the journey. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots that were filled with meat and we ate all the bread we ever wanted. But now you, Moses, you, Aaron, you've brought us out into this wilderness to starve to death. Pause. Um, I, wanna, I wanna camp on this for a moment because this is something that happens a lot in the body of Christ. People like to blame the leaders. They love to blame stuff on the pastor. It's your fault, pastor, just so you know. Like, the problems I'm facing, they have nothing to do with me and my life and the things that I've, this is your fault. You need to fix this problem. Um, I was a youth pastor for many, many years, and uh, I remember getting calls from parents often. I have some friends here from Albuquerque, New Mexico that are youth pastors right now, and you can, you can yeah, give it up for Brennan and Delaney Woodward. Uh, planting a church in Washington, D.C., and uh, God's gonna use them in an amazing way, but you've probably had these conversations with parents before as well. A mom will call, and they'll think it's my job to fix their kid, and uh, they'll start to complain about the things that little Johnny's doing, you know, like, Pastor Johnny, you won't believe, he, he is not obeying me as his mom anymore, okay? And you should hear the things that are coming out of his mouth. Like, 
I, I know that you guys listen to some of that. Sec- it's probably because you listen to secular music. Past secular. It's the secular music. It's a rap music. Secular rap music that has ruined my kid's life. He, he's just he's saying things he shouldn't be saying. And you know what? I need you to fix this. This is your fault. What do you preach about there on Wednesday nights? Do you ever talk about the Ten Commandments? Honor thy father and mother. Do you ever tell them to honor their parents? I, um, I don't know. I just do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. Okay, well, could you tell Johnny that every word he says, Jesus is keeping track of, and one day he's going to stand before Jesus and give an account for every single one of those F-bombs that I heard coming out of his mouth today? Like, fix my kid. This is your problem. And I often wanted to say to these parents as I had these conversations, you know, it's, you're right. It's my fault. That's my bad. That's on me. Um, I should have raised them better by now. You know, I do get them for two hours on Wednesday nights. You know, I, well, and that's if you actually let them come to church and not do homework or go to basketball practice or volleyball practice. So I get them once a month for two hours and you're right. I should have done a much better job raising your kid by now than you've, I mean, it probably has nothing to do with the fact that you don't pray and you don't go to church and you don't love Jesus, but it's my fault that your kid is the way. I'm sorry, that's too personal. Okay, moving on. So these Israelites, they begin to complain against the pastors and then they make this statement, and, and I wanna, I wanna hone in on this for a moment because I think a lot of us have made this statement, whether out loud or in our hearts before, and, and you can be the judge. You can look back at your own life, but here's what they say. They say, I wish we would have died back in Egypt. I, I wish we would have died in that last season, at least in that last season, you know, as we were slaves, we had, we had an abundance of food. We had meat and pots filled with it and bread and we at least had our basic needs cared for. You have brought us out into this wilderness to die. You've ever had that chat with Jesus before? I feel like you brought me out of this wilderness or out of this thing and I'm in the wilderness and I'm gonna die here. I missed that last chapter. I think all of a sudden, this two and a half million group of people, like they, they, they begin to romanticize the pain of their past and forget how much they begged God to get out of it. They begin to look back on the last chapter of slavery and forget that they're actually walking in freedom right now. They, they, they have this selective amnesia. They, they forget how bad it really was. If you're taking notes, write this down. Be, be, be careful, because here's a warning I want to issue to you. The wilderness can manipulate your memories. It has the ability, when you're walking in this season between past and promise, to mess with your mindset a little bit. To make you think a little bit differently about that last season, almost longingly for that last season while you don't live in the freedom of your current season. The devil loves to mess with you in the wilderness, and he'll like to make slavery look like security. You've heard it before, right? You know, I, um, I know it was an abusive home, but... At least I had a roof over my head. I know it was a toxic work environment, but at least I had a paycheck coming in. I know it was really, really bad when I was a slave, but at least I had some security. People do this with relationships all the time. They'll finally get the guts to like break up with the toxic boyfriend or the toxic girlfriend, and they're like, finally, I'm free of that jerk. Thank you, Jesus. And then like a week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, and they're alone and it's Friday night and they're Netflixing but not chilling by themselves. And what do they do? They pick up the phone and they didn't delete the number. That's your bad. <laughs> and they start texting, hey, dot, dot, dot. Miss you, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. 
Winky emoji. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> no, you don't miss them. You're just lonely and a little thirsty. And let me be the voice of reason to remind you God rescued, from that situa- rescued you from that situation. He pulled you out of Egypt. And yes, you might be in a wilderness, but at least you are free in a wilderness and you're not enslaved to that thing any longer. If you'll just wait, hold, God has something great for you on the other side of it. And let me remind you, you prayed for that. You begged God to get you out of it, and he did. So don't mentally move back into your past while you're pursuing what God has for your future because you think for a moment, this doesn't look good, so that must be as good as it gets. No, 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 no. That is your past, and God takes you from faith to faith, from glory to glory. The future is always greater than where you came from if you will just keep moving forward. Don't allow the enemy to romanticize your past, to make yesterday look like something good to go back to. No, remind yourself, I was a slave back then, but I am free in Jesus' name. So the people, as they complain about this food issue, God begins to respond in verse four. He says, then the Lord says to Moses, look, I'm gonna rain down food from heaven for you. I know you're hungry, so I'm gonna rain it down from heaven. Each day, the people can go out and they can pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And then in verse 13, we see the instructions. It says, the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it, they asked. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, this is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up, ready for this, two quarts for each person in your tent. Tells them exactly how much to pick up. This is portion control. This is a keto diet in the Bible right here, okay? So the people of Israel, (laughs) that was so dumb. People of Israel (laughs) did as they were told. Some gathered a lot and some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough food. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. And Moses told them, hey, whatever you do, don't keep any of it until the morning. But some of them didn't listen and they kept some of it until the morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and it had a terrible smell. Yummy. (laughs) Moses was very angry with them. But after this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. I want to spend the rest of our time there, if I could, because there's a lot packed into this beautiful story of God's provision for his people. That is a massive miracle. Like, let's just, let's think about this for a moment. You have two and a half million people. They've been wandering around in the desert for 30 days. They're out of food, and God shows up, and he says, I've seen your situation. I understand where you're at, and I'm going to give you food. For calculation, just for perspective, the amount of food it would have taken for each person to take two quarts every single morning would have been the equivalent of three freight trains a mile long each. So three miles of freight trains bringing food into this camp every single day for 40 years. That is a massive miracle of biblical proportion. Don't tell me that God is not able to provide for your situation when we look at that and we see his massive provision for a group of people. I think, in fact, that's probably the most obvious takeaway from this entire text, that God is a provider. 
He is a provider for every single one of his people. When we call out to him and he finds us in a situation of lack, he will not let you go hungry. He will not let you go thirsty. He will provide for every single one of your needs. Most scholars actually believe that at this particular moment in their journey, Israel had just run out of food. They had packed enough provision when they left Egypt to get them 30 days. They assumed that they would be where they were at or where they were supposed to be by now, but they find themselves in the wilderness with no food. And as they make their last loaf of bread, as they eat their last fish, and they look at tomorrow realizing, I don't have any, any provision coming, they freak out. I don't know if you've ever met anybody who doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from, but there is a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry that comes along with this. I see it every single week. We, we have a, a food pantry every single Thursday. Shout out to the team that serves this food pantry. Every single Thursday over at the Pomeroy Center, and we partner with the San Francisco Food Bank to feed families that are under-resourced in our community. And the food, uh, food bank is amazing. They, they give us enough food to accommodate every single person on our list, and they know that every week there's gonna be more people that show up than are on the list, and so they send additional resources so that nobody walks away without groceries. Everyone gets to leave with food. Half the time, even the team serving walks away with food because we have that many leftovers. It's amazing. It's like Jesus broke bread and everyone's got leftovers, and there's 12 baskets. It's awesome. So... People showed up and they, they get this food every single week, but regardless of the fact that we've never run out of food, every week, the same five, six, eight people show up an hour before we start to serve and they wanna make sure that they're in the front of the line because they're worried that the resources might run out. There's food anxiety. It got inside of them and, and it freaks them out a little bit. And you have two and a half million people that are absolutely terrified. What's gonna happen next? Did we come out here to die. But the second, let me say that again, the second they had a need, God saw it. God did not let them wander around for a few more days and starve a little bit before he provided. The moment they began to cry out, the moment they had a need, God said, I am good enough to hear you and to respond. I am good enough to provide. If I was a Baptist preacher, I would say it like this. He's never early, but he's never late. He's always right on time. Like, that's how I would say it. Some of y'all wish that's the church we had here. Maybe I will start preaching like that, stomping more. Come on, I got a floor in front of me today. This is not normal. Ole. <laughs> hey, you serve a God today that is always on time. You serve a provider today. His very name is Jehovah Jireh. And whatever your situation might look like, you will never have to live in lack when you serve Jesus because he understands, I will give you everything you need the moment you need it. I'll never be late. I will always provide. I'm just that good. He's got you covered. In the most famous sermon ever preached, Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear. And then he says, consider the birds of the air. See how those birds, like, they have a worm every time they leave their nest? <sniffs> oh, look, at there's a worm. That's not just the bird who magically, that's me. I'm the one providing the worm for the bird. And, and you see that field? I could have left that field just covered in dirt, but I actually clothed it with flowers. I clothed it with lilies. I made it beautiful. And if I can clothe the fields and I can feed the birds, don't you think that you are more valuable to me than some dirt and a freaking sparrow that's flowing around in the air? Like, I love you. Of course I want to take care of you. You serve a God that sees, and when he sees, he provides. 
Just trust him today. That is the most obvious takeaway from this text, I think. But, but there's another takeaway that I want to dive into for a couple moments that I think uh, it affects every single one of us. And, and it's, it's lying beneath the surface of this story. And it's found in the very name that the nation of Israel gave to this flaky bread-like substance that fell from heaven every single day and provided for their needs. God comes to Moses and he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send food from heaven. I'm literally going to rain food from heaven. This is like cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Like this is incredible. Like food <laughs> falling from heaven every single morning. Sorry, I am a dad with kids, all right? Like, sorry for my dad jokes today. Just get through it, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll have some adult humor later. No, don't say that. Not adult humor. That's weird. <laughs> it's the 11 o'clock service, guys. We're loose here. It's going to be great. So the food falls from heaven every single day. And when the Israelites go out the first day to find this food, they look at it and they, they have no idea what they're looking at. They're like, hey, Moses, what is this? And Moses says, well, this is the food that God gave to you. It's like when a parent and a kid are sitting at the table and the kid is asking like, well, what is this? I don't want to eat this. It's the food. It's just eat the food that's sitting in front of you. It's the food. Well, but okay, I, I get it. It's the food, but what is it? It's the food, but, but what is it? I don't, I, I don't, I've never seen this before. I don't know, you come up with a name with it. You know what they called it? They called it manna. You know what manna means? What is it? <laughs> Seriously, like that is the Hebrew translation of manna. It literally means, what is it? What is it? What is it? So, for 40 years, these people walked out of their tent and they were faced with the same question every single day. Hey, what is that? What, 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 what are we eating? What is this? What is it? What is it? What is it? So I pose the same question to you this morning. What was it? What was this flaky bread-like substance that consistently fell from heaven every single day and provided for God's people. Last week, I reminded all of us that it is important when we read the word of God that we remember that the entire Bible is about a singular subject. That while there is many stories, genealogies, songs, parables, proverbs, while there's you know, hundreds of pages of stuff here, you could sum the entirety of the Bible up in one word. This whole book is about Jesus. It all points to him. Every story in the Old Testament, while it literally took place, it was nothing more than a foreshadowing of what Jesus would accomplish when he showed up on this planet. It's all about him. And last week, we shared that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud in the wilderness, it pointed to something that Jesus would accomplish. Well, the same is true of this what is it bread that fell from heaven. It points to Jesus. Everything does. One day Jesus is uh, out in a wilderness, sound familiar, with a multitude of people, and there's no food. They're far away from the cities where they could go to Whole Foods and the likes, and they have no way to get groceries. And Jesus begins to preach and preach and preach and preach and preach, as preachers do, preach and preach and preach. And he's way over his time clock. 
and I have one of those, by the way, in case you're ever nervous, like I have, I ignore it every single week, but it's there. Um, <laughs> but uh, his disciples come to him near the end of the day and like, hey, Jesus, you know, you've been preaching for like 18 hours. Um, these people are kind of hungry and we should probably send them away because if they don't get food right now, like this is going to turn ugly. And, and Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, okay, why don't you guys give them something to eat? It's like 20,000 people and there's 12 disciples. Like, <laughs> funny, no, seriously, Jesus, what do you want me to do? No, go ahead, you feed them. Uh, that's impossible. We don't have enough food. And so Jesus robs this little boy of his Lunchable and he starts breaking up the crackers and breaking up the fish and he feeds 20,000 people in the wilderness from this little sack lunch of a boy. And then the people, they're pumped. They're like, this is incredible. Like we get free food out of this deal? I'm sticking around. And they stay in the wilderness. It's probably a bunch of college students, right? They're just like, free food? I'm there. I'll go to church for pizza. Amen. <laughs> and Jesus gets kind of irritated with them. And he says, okay, guys, you're only here for the food. You're not really here for the message. I used to have that conversation with students all the time. You're here for the food, not for the message. And these people respond back to Jesus. And look at what they say. In John chapter 6, verse 30, they said, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe this message, if you want us to believe in you. What can you do, Jesus? After all, our ancestors, they ate manna while they were journeying through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am that bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Jesus once again proves with this statement that the entire book is about him. That everything points to him. He says, hey, what was, your, uh, what was that thing your, your ancestors were eating in the wilderness? Remind me again, what was it called? Oh, that's right. It was called, what was it called? <laughs> what is it? Remember how they asked, what is it? What is it? What is it? Over and over again. They ate for 40 years and they did not have an answer to that question. Well, guess what? The answer is standing in front of you. You finally get to know what it is. That substance that God provided from heaven for his people every single day for 40 years, it was pointing to me. I am the bread of life. I am the resource you need. You are looking at the manna. It's all about Jesus. Now, that's a massive statement because not only does it bridge the 1400 years between Moses and the Messiah and make sense of everything in between, but if what Jesus is saying is true, then everything we know about manna can be applied to Jesus. If it's true of the manna, it's true of him. Just as the manna fell from heaven, it was a resource from God that came down to earth. So Jesus, although he was born of a woman, a virgin, he did not come from human flesh. He was a gift from God, from heaven that came to earth. He left his throne to dwell among us for 33 years. Just as the, the manna was the way that the Israelites made their way through the desert and ultimately ended up in the promise, so Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the only way, the only path, the only one that can get you to heaven, period. There's not 17 roads up the mountain. You can't serve and worship another God to get there. It's him and him alone. 
And just as the manna was sufficient, just as it provided for every single one of their needs, their physical needs were met with one thing. So Jesus is the only source that any of us need and he will provide for everything that we need. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus a boyfriend to fill my emotional needs. It's not Jesus plus the right job to fulfill my financial needs. No, Jesus is not interested in being one of many in your life. He doesn't want to be one of many shoulders to cry on or one of many coping mechanisms or one of many moral standards. It's him and him alone. He is the sustainer. He is the all-sufficient one. Manna was not like a side dish to the main meal. Manna was not a buffet and you could take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I think I'll have a little bit of manna. No, it was the only item on the menu. If it's true of the manna, it's true of Jesus. He is all that we need. But, but I think one of the most important truths we have to understand about manna and one that every single one of us might be wise to pay attention to even as we walk into this next week is this, that manna had to be gathered daily. Jesus has to be gathered daily. Someone say, don't forsake the gathering. Moses tells the people, go out every single morning. And when you get there, there's gonna be food waiting for you. Now, be warned, it's not enough food for tomorrow, but it's plenty of food for today. All that you need today is literally waiting if you would just go out and gather. And then God tells Moses, this is actually a test for my people. Not just a test to see if they will trust me for tomorrow's resources, but a test to see, will they actually go out and gather. If they didn't gather, when the sun became hot enough, the resources God had made available to them for that day actually evaporated. They dried up. And if they said to themselves, you know what? I got a busy day tomorrow. I'm going to just gather up a little bit of extra manna today because I'm going to need that tomorrow. Well, the manna they gathered up that day was not good for the next day. It actually became rancid and spoiled. Why? Because God wanted to make it clear what you need today is available today. Yesterday's word is not going to sustain you today. Today's word is not going to sustain you tomorrow. You need today's manna. If you go out and gather, it'll be there. But if you don't do that, I'm sorry, there's nothing for you. Let me ask you a confronting question this morning. How are you gathering are you a daily gatherer? Do you go out and gather Jesus every single day? When you look at last week, did you gather every day? Did you get what you needed for that day? Because the challenges of that day are not gonna be answered by yesterday's revelation. You need a fresh word for that day. As you get into next week, do you have a plan to gather? Do you have a rhythm in your life where you get out of your tent in the morning you get out of that bed a little before everybody else in the house. You light the candle, create the mood. And you crack open the word of God and you feast on his word. And you knock on heaven's door and you pray. And you worship, not just in this building, but you worship over your home and you worship over your family and you worship over your job. Did you gather? I, I, I think that a lot of pastors 
like to use this word gathering because there's this famous scripture that pastors really enjoy. It's uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and it says, don't forsake the, word, uh, the gathering together of yourselves as so many are in the habit of doing. In other words, just make sure you prioritize church. And pastors love that because we want people to come to church. And it's also not just because we want full rooms and it's more fun to preach to this many people than two. Like, that's not it at all. Like, it's really because we believe in what happens in this building every single week. We know that the collective gathering of many people to lift up the name of Jesus creates an atmosphere that is irreplaceable anywhere else. You will not find this sitting on your couch, eating potato chips, watching Joel Osteen. I love Joel Osteen. He's incredible, but that's not church. You will not find this listening to the podcast. That's one of the main reasons we started a second service at this church, because it hurt me that people had to sit in a room and serve and not have an opportunity to sit in this room and receive, because I understand the power of what happens in this gathering. What happens in this room matters. The rest you need is not in Tahoe, it's in the house. The wisdom you need is not a sitting over coffee with a friend on a Sunday morning, it's in the house. There is stuff that happens in this gathering that will not happen anywhere else, so you should prioritize this gathering. But if you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you know that this is not the only gathering that we like to talk about. We love gathering not just in this place, but from house to house to house to house to house all around this community. Why? Because we also understand that that gathering is imperative. It's, it's necessary for your spiritual formation. Acts chapter two said that they met in the temple courts weekly, but then they met daily house to house to house. Why? Because when you meet house to house and you get into a group here, it's not because we want us to say that, hey, we're a church that has groups. We're bored during the week and we have nothing else to do. No, we understand that sitting around in a circle with a, a bunch of other believers has the opportunity to forge you and shape you and disciple you and sharpen you and develop relationships that are gonna walk with you through every season of life. You need that gathering. But that's not the gathering we're talking about here. Don't forsake the gathering. I, I think we live in an events-based society that has put far too much faith in the big gatherings while we discount the daily gatherings. We're living for the next service or the next event or the next group. Come on, what about the manna that's waiting for you every single day? I'm glad that you come to church once every three weeks and I'm glad that you are in a group. Sorry, that was a side. Maybe you come every single week, but I'm glad that you're in the house. But let's say that you go to a group every week and you come to church every week. That's two meals. That's two gatherings. Last time I checked, you can't survive on two meals a week. Your body needs more than two meals to grow, to thrive, to survive. How many of us are trying to run on fumes in the spirit because we're living on yesterday's manna or a word we got a year ago and we're starving spiritually because we're not giving our body what it desperately needs? We need some fresh manna for today. Because listen, people get weird when they don't have manna. People get weird when they don't eat. Am I right? You ever talk to someone that's hungry? It's ever happened to you before? It's like three o'clock in the afternoon, driving down the highway, you're like cutting people off, flipping people off, yelling at your kids in the back seat, turning on ACDC and just like headbanging and like creating an atmosphere of anger. And all of a sudden you're like, yo, what is wrong with me? And it dawns on you, oh my gosh, I didn't eat anything today. I forgot to feed myself. That's why I'm so irritable. 
Or, or maybe those of you who jumped in and fasted with us like for the first time uh, this couple weeks ago when we did the seven day fast, you had like these images in your head of like this super spiritual week where you're like, oh my God, it's gonna be amazing. Angels are gonna fly through my bedroom and my face is gonna radiate with the Shekinah glory of God. It's gonna be awesome. And then like day three, reality set in, you're like, yo, I'm just freaking hungry, all right? Like I wanna punch somebody in the face. That's the only thing radiating from me right now. Like I am, I am not happy. Why? Because you get weird when you don't eat. Something about starvation that brings out the worst in you. If my kids are acting a little sideways, one of the first questions I ask them is like, hey, when was the last time you ate? Because I know if they don't have food in their system, they're gonna get crazy. Sometimes my wife starts running her mouth at me, I'm like, yo, when was the last time you ate, girl, okay? <laughs> you need a Snickers, and then we can talk about this in a couple of minutes, all right? <laughs> I love you, babe. Babe, whoa, you're right. <laughs> there you are. I love you too, Alicia. You're great, but she's better <laughs> to me. David likes you more. Anyway, people get weird when they don't eat, right? Well, maybe that thing that you don't like about your life right now, maybe that constant irritation, maybe that spiritual frustration, maybe it's not because you need to go to another group. Maybe it's not because you need another prayer meeting. Maybe it's not because you need another big gathering. Maybe you just need another meal. Maybe you just need to get out tomorrow morning, wake up a little bit earlier and begin to read and begin to pray and begin to gather a little bit more, create a pattern of consistency in your gathering because if you will just get out and gather, everything you need is waiting for you. There is manna for today. And I'll land with this because the clock tells me I have to. Here's the good news. If you don't have that rhythm in your life right now, after the first service, talked with a bunch of people who are like, thank you, I don't have that rhythm in my life right now. Here's the good news, okay? Tomorrow's coming. Right? The Lord said to Moses, every single day, this is gonna be available to you. Every day. So if you didn't gather yesterday and you're a little bit hungry, don't worry. It's gonna be available to you tomorrow. God's mercies are new to you every single day. He is willing to be your daily bread. He's not going to wait and stand back and see you suffer in a wilderness through a season of starvation before he provides. If you just say, you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to pick myself up again. Though the righteous fall, they will get back up. I'm going to serve him tomorrow. I'm going to seek him tomorrow. I'm going to gather tomorrow. Everything you need for tomorrow will be waiting for you if you get up and gather. Come on one more time. Someone say, don't forsake the gathering. That's for us this week. Create some rhythms, create some patterns in your life, and you will never starve spiritually. God has everything you need. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed. Be blessed.